Good morning, everybody. How are we all? Come on, you can do better. That hello, everybody. How are we all? Excellent. Do you know if one thing teaches us today is that Jesus is real? Anybody agree with me? Anybody at the back agree with me? I'm looking at the back row today. We know that war is real, but we know that Jesus is real. We know. I tell you, I woke up and there was um, there's an economic crisis. There's uh, there's a crisis in obviously. Eastern Europe, I woke up, looked in the mirror, and there's a hairline crisis. But what I know is this, is that Jesus is real, and the church gathers together to remind each other that it's not over until Jesus says it's over. And I love these two stories here, which we'll come to later. Okay, we're going to read a story um, in the book of two kings, or so in second kings. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there now. It might be on your phone, mine's on my tablet. The book of two kings. It's the sequel to First Kings, um, so uh, and it'll be on screen if you're a visitor. If you're here visiting for baptisms today, welcome. If you're a new person, welcome today. It'll be on screen for you, and it's the book of Two Kings, chapter five. Today we're going to meet a man called Naaman. Naaman. His name was called Naaman because they asked their parents, "Have you got a name for this child?" And his dad said, "Naaman." Uh, about Naaman, he was a powerful man, but he had, le- he had a real bad skin disease. And this skin disease is called leprosy, and it still exists today. And we meet Naaman, <coughs> and we meet our hero, Elisha, who is wearing the mantle of God. So this is what happens in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. You might be wondering who the king of Aram is. I've not a clue. He was a king. Army of the king of Aram, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive of a young girl from Israel, where Elisha's from. A young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, who is name is Elisha, he would cure him of his leprosy. So let's jump ahead to the story when this happens. Verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him uh, to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Uh, in the Jordan River and your, f- your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the water of Israel? Is that not saying, that's like saying, isn't the river Seven or the Thames better than the river Duggy? Surely it's better to do it there than in Wigan. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off spat his dummy out, and went off in a rage. Verse 13, if you're following along in your Bible, says this, Naaman's servant went up to him and said, my father, which is, uh, which is just um, um, like an endearing way, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. What a great story that is. 
That's an encouraging story. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for healing Naaman, and I believe you can heal us today. Amen. Amen. If this story teaches us anything, especially from the perspective of Naaman, is that we need to trust God. We need to trust God. Naaman was a powerful man. It said he was a successful, rich, powerful man. When Naaman wanted a drink, he'd say it and a cup would just end up in his hand filled with wine. When he wanted a party, the jesters would play in his court. When he wanted a war, there would be an army at his fingertips. But for some reason, he didn't get what he wanted straight away in this story. God made him wait. Or what's more accurate to say is this. God took him through a process that was different to what he expected. He didn't even meet him. He didn't, Elisha didn't even get up out of his own house and go and speak to, to Naaman. He sent his servant Gehazi to go and pass on this message. The disrespect. But let me tell you this. If I can encourage anybody who's passionately running after Jesus today. Hear this. That the process in you is more important than the promise for you. The process in you is far more important than the promise for you. Did, you. did you see that in verse 11? Where Naaman says, I would have expected to wave his wand or wave his, uh, wave his hands, wave his magic wand over the spot. Poof, hippity poof. Healed. But it didn't happen like that. Instead, there was something else at work. Alicia said, get in the water seven times. At the start of this year, I, was, um, I wasn't happy with my health. I had put on quite a bit of weight through stress eating, because that's one way my mental health gets hit. I stress eat, shares in McDonald's go up, and at co-op as well. Um, so great for capitalism, not great for mental health. And I remember being a, a lot unhealthier and heavier than I have been before. So at the start of the year, or, or thereabouts, I thought to myself, it's not right for me to get up on stage and tell people to do something that, that I'm not doing myself. I need to get right, I need to sort my head out. So what I decided to do, was I decided to get on top of my eating, eat well. I used a cal calorie counter, which helps me kind of calculate what's going on. Um, both hate it and love it at the same time, weirdly, you know. Sort of like putting the heater on in my house. I love the heat, but I hate the cost of it right now. Um, uh, but I, I remember there was this one moment where I was like, man, I just can't be bothered anymore. You ever have those moments here? I just can't be bothered If there's something in this story that teaches us something, is that we've got to trust God. That the process we're going through is producing something that we'll need when we get to the promise. Because imagine if I just pray to God, God, get, give me a healthy, make me run a marathon. And then suddenly I, my physique changed and my health changed. You know, imagine if it just happened like that. How many people know? Shares in McDonald's and shares in co-op would still be high because I'd just be defaulting to the way I've always lived. But what the process taught me was that when I finally got to the promise, I could treat it with the same value in which God gave it to me in the first place. That I could steward it well, look after it. There's a, there's a follower of Jesus called James in the New Testament. He says this, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The process tests you, but it's to develop perseverance. Why? Let perseverance finish its work 
so that you may, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Friend, if you're here today and you're asking God for a promise, you can guarantee he's going to take you on a process. I'm not here to wave a magic wand. If you're saying, God, I'm looking for this, God, I'm looking for that, he's going to say, okay, well, get in the water. Let's do this. Are you looking for a future spouse? Then he'll ensure that you'll do single, singleness well first. Are you looking for future success? Then he'll ensure that you steward today well. Are you looking to move on from the last season, from the season you're in? He'll ensure you've learned your lesson from this one you're now about to finish. Because what it's producing in you is more important than the promise being delivered for you. So friend, trust God. Trust God. Turn to someone and say, don't trust me. Go and turn to someone and say, don't trust me. Just tell them, just trust God. I am not dependable. I am often late. I am sassy on occasion. But God, you can trust him. God's plans are greater than ours. His ways are higher than ours. And his love is deeper than ours. Why seven? Why seven times in this story? It's such a random number, isn't it? But if you're passionately in love with the Bible like I am, you'll know that everything is very, in this book, is very intentional. In fact, there's, the numbers in the Bible mean something. So when, so when you see the number seven, that word in Hebrew history represents perfection or completeness. So the writer of Genesis spans out the creation narrative in seven eras. Because when God created the world, he created it from nothing to something. And he stood back and said, I'm done. That's good. That's complete. That's perfect. There are seven um, miracles that John writes about in his book about Jesus. Meaning that Jesus is the perfect one. There are seven names given by the Apostle Paul to describe Jesus. Meaning that Jesus is the perfect one. There's seven churches in the book of Revelation that John spoke about, meaning that the church is a perfect place. And when you see the number seven, it's hinting to you that what is happening is completion. What is happening is perfection, even if it doesn't look like it. What is perfection anyway? Like, what even is perfection? I've never seen something perfect. I've never seen it. Now you look at a marriage and you think, wow, they've got a perfect marriage, but they don't, do they? We know they don't. But what, what that is, is years of process, years of conversation, commitment, sacrifice, sex. It's years and years and years. And it's, oh, you've got the perfect marriage. Well, no, what you've got is a processed marriage. <laughs> and to some, it looks like perfection, but it's just because it's producing what's perfect for you. A friend of mine went on holiday with his family and um, it was after lockdown. So they went, kind of went all out. You know, if we're going to holiday, we are going to holiday. You know what I'm saying? And so they went to this really sort of what was expensive for them, a big holiday abroad. And the kid got sick and ended up in A&E, right, for a few days. Um, now, it, it was fine, being a bit of a plonker, so I fine. It came back, came back and they enjoyed the rest of the holiday. And when I got home, I was like, are you okay? Oh, that was crazy what happened on your holiday. And they said, yeah, it was a perfect holiday. I was like, you spent four grand, you're absolutely stupid. 
that is not a perfect holiday. Like the TUI adverts, that looks like a perfect. And another friend of mine, um, Rach, she had a wedding, one of our associate leaders here, she had a wedding and it rained for half the day. It flooded twice. We were like, where's Noah when you need him? You know, we were pushing things off because they decided to do it in a marquee. So we were pushing the things. And I remember at the end of the day, I was driving him uh, to the hotel and said, how was your day? And they were like, yeah, I wouldn't have changed that for the world. I said, you're a sick people. <laughs> you are a sick, sick people. I wouldn't have changed it for the world. But yet somehow that process as weird and as dysfunctional, as strange as it was, produced exactly what God had promised, but it was just in an unexpected way. When you look at someone's perfect home, it takes years of process, years of planning and investment, years of DIY, and then years of a second round of DIY when your husband can't fix a blooming thing, but he can because he's watched YouTube. Anybody agree with that one? Yeah, okay, great, yeah. Maybe my wife's hand went up then, maybe, but there you go. Years of process. So when Jesus comes along and suddenly his friends abandon him and he's left into the courts of the Jews and the Romans, when they're flogging and they're beating him and when they put a crown of thorns on his head and when they stuck a spear in his side, do you think in his head he thought, man, this is the perfect way that I wanted to fulfill the will of my father here on this earth? When they nailed him to a cross and then he finally, eventually died when he led his own spirit. And then he literally went from hell to hell and back so you and I could get to heaven. And he went through that awful traumatic experience of, uh, of coming back from the dead and walking out of the tomb and everything that entailed. Do you think he thought to himself, man, this is just perfect. I wouldn't change this for the world. But yet we would say that. Because we gather every Sunday and say, Father, we wouldn't have changed what Jesus did for the world. Because what you did was perfect. Man, it hurt you and it robbed you and it humiliated you and it killed you. But thank you, Lord, that your process was perfect. Because what it produced was completeness. This talk should be called The Process is Perfect. Uh, the prophet is seven, but I thought it was a bit weird, so we call it the process is perfect. Why don't we have the band up? Let's get the band up, shall we? Because I'm nearly done. The story teaches us to trust God in the process. Listen to this. Trust God in the process and the promise will come to pass. It's true. It wasn't perfect because it was easier than you thought it was going to be. It wasn't perfect because you got it faster than you thought you were going to get it. It was perfect because God did it. And whatever way he did it, he didn't wave his magic wand and it was all okay. He put you in water in a most random and repetitive way possible. <clears throat> And it was humiliating at times. And it was difficult and different at times than you thought it was going to be. I asked God for a new job. That's my promise for me, a new job. But yet it took far longer than I thought it was going to take. And I went through interview and interview and I got knocked back, knocked back. But the job I've got now, man, that's just perfect for me. And I didn't even know it existed at the time when God promised me. But yet the process is perfect. 
Matt, I just believe God promised me a family of my own. Uh, that I would, we would be our own family unit, but yet it's taken time after time after time of either trying or disappointment or a change or illness. And my heart's been breaking, but man, the children, the family unit that I've got now are a bigger blessing than I could ever imagine. Perfection. What it produced in you is what you needed. Because I trusted in God in that process, my promise came to pass. So we're moving from a place from wand to water. We're moving from a place where we want God to change everything all at once to say, God, I'm willing to be changed. I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, be changed by you and do what you do in order to find that promise. So Naaman had to get in the water, right? He had to get into the water, which was really humiliating for him, you know? Because there were lots of people watching Naaman. I'm not going to take off any more clothes. Not that kind of church. Ema, can you do it? Ema, look. Stick it over the top of that. So he got in the water, right? In front of all his people who thought he was really important and cool, right? So he decided, because God said, like, I'm going to give you this promise, but first, thanks, Andy, cheers, thank you. Be careful with them, they're radioactive. <laughs> he had to go in the water, because the change in you, the change in you is far more important than the promise that he wants to give you. So sometimes what you have to do is get in the water. We have to get in the water. Could I have a towel, please? Thank you. I got in and then I thought, this isn't a great decision. But I find myself here now and everyone on the podcast is confused. Thanks. Just stick it. We have to get in the water. Are you willing to get in the water? Humiliated. He could have, he, he raged, he walked off and he said, you know what? Forget this. Probably said a different F word. Forget this. I'm not doing this. I'm not going in. No chance. But yet he realized that this process was repetitive and it was random. But if you just trusted God in the process, the promise will come to pass. The promise is on its way. So what he did was he dipped seven times. I'm going to dip seven times. But I need your help. Because every visitor that's come here for the first time thinking, what have I come to? This is weird. So I need all your help, okay? Now what I want you to do is I want you to shout the number when I do it, okay? Oh, this makes it even more. Okay, never mind. I want you to shout the number, okay? And I'm going to dip. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to do it afterwards. And the band are going to help me as well. So you're going to shout one. Let's, let's trial it out to see whether your voices are working. So I want you to shout pies after three, okay? Shout pies at one, two, three. Excellent. So we're going to, whoa, someone definitely wants pies. <laughs> pies! Okay, there we go, the process. 
uh, the process is Galloway's after this, you know what I'm saying? Okay, <laughs> we ready? Going to do it seven times, okay? So when I do this, I want you to shout one, okay? And then I'll come out and shout two. I want you to do it. Okay, you ready? Someone said eight and nine then, you sack off, no chance. That, that was good, right? That was enough, right? Wasn't enough? I did six. Come on, I did six, I don't need to go again. One more. This is exactly where some of you are today. You're in between six and seven. Well, God said something to you about your children and your future. And somewhere down the road, you walked away from the journey that God had set you on. Naaman did not get his promise when he didn't stick with the process. In fact, let me tell you this. Your promise comes through the process. So I made a fool of myself today to tell you this. Don't stop on six. Don't stop. Come on, somebody. Listen, your marriage may be between six and seven. Your job prospects may be between six and seven. Your mental health, your physical health. But I came to tell you that if you don't stop on six, the promise is on its way. You can tell who the Pentecostals are in the room. Someone's getting a handkerchief saying, I believe. You can all stand up. Why don't you join the people stood?